Artemis endeavors to get more women and girls in the field and on the water. To support women as leaders in the conservation movement. To ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. everybody. Welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I am your host, Marsha Brownlee, and we are joined today by two great guests. We have Tia Shoemaker and Christine Cunningham. Welcome to you both. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm super excited to dive into a conversation with you both. Uh, and let's just go ahead and, and start it right off the bat. Um, Tia, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. I'm Tia Shoemaker. I grew up on the Alaskan Peninsula um, within a wildlife refuge. My parents were fortunate enough to um, find a place that's an original homestead and raise my brother and I there. So I think a a big part of, I feel like, of who I am is kind of where I grew up because it made for a lot of really unique experiences. And the other aspect of that is that um, my parents had a hunting and fishing lodge that it was just family owned and operated, still is. And so growing up in that um, environment kind of, I guess not kind of, it really impacted who I am. And another, a side note to that is just that our nearest neighbor is about 60 miles away. And that's the only way to get into our remote lodge is by airplane. Mm. So we were, we were well, um, well adapted to living very remote and and getting to see a lot of really cool things out there. Are you a pilot? (laughs) I I am. It's sort of a a prerequisite in our family. You have to be a pilot. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. The pilot and the guide. Those are things that they're just like known from birth. You're going to have to be if you're going to be in the family. (laughs) Right. It's like I uh, grew up in Michigan near the cornfields. And so a tractor was one of the first things I learned how to drive. It just feels like that's just a natural (laughs) translation that, yeah, that you would be a pilot. It would, it would, the only way to get, right. The only way to get in and out of there is by airplane. Yep. Awesome. Can you, I'm curious uh I mean dig deep for this one do you have like a first memory of hunting or fishing that strikes you whether it's like whether whether it was your being out with your parents or some guests or of your own what's like one of your earliest memories you know being raised in a hunting community I guess I would call it because everyone you're surrounded by is a hunter when you're small and you're in a guide camp. Um, My brother and I were always anxious to be hunters and as little tiny, I remember being tiny and watching these hunters coming back um, successful from these caribou hunts or whatever it is they were on and, and just feeling like I was missing out already in life and I wanted to be a part of that. And so when I was five, um, my brother and I had these little bows and we would chase ptarmigan and we would, we would do this thing where we'd play guide and client and we'd fight over who got to be the guide and who had to be the client. And then we'd guide each other on these ptarmigan hunts or some days we would just go out and hunt together. And we were always like running around constantly barefoot with our little bows, slinging arrows uh, and just trying to get ptarmigan. It took a really long time with a bow as a five-year-old to finally get one, but that was, pretty much what we dedicated our entire August and September, the time that you could hunt ptarmigan. Um, that's what we dedicated our time to solely out there. And so I would say those are my first hunting memories. Um, 
there's been a lot since, but mm-hmm. those are the, those kind of the formative years. That's really fantastic. I love that you guys are playing guide and client. Just, <laughs> we could have a whole podcast on that. Um, <laughs> uh, Christine, tell us a little bit about who you are. Uh, so I was just going to say, there's a really adorable picture of T and her brother that I've seen that, that helps that story of them. It's oh, fantastic. Um, Very proud so, of our ptarmigan. Yes, as you should be. Cute... <laughs> but um, yeah, I grew up in Alaska also, and I've always loved the outdoors. Um, most of my life, I like to be outside, just kind of as an observer or listening. And um, one of my first big moments as a kid was at summer camp where I hadn't earned any of the badges for survival, uh, like building a fire or shelter. And then I saw there was a poetry badge. And so a group of us headed out to the woods to learn about haiku and write one. And I remember sitting there and looking at this tree, trying to hope that it would tell me something to write. And and it finally did sort of, and, and I just started writing. And I thought that was the moment where I realized that nature was my source of truth, that that was the place where I got the answers or that I was able to tap into something firsthand. And I always considered myself a writer since then. And um, hunting didn't come until way later in life for me. That's an amazing story. Uh, part, part of me wants to ask you what that poem was. <laughs> Oh, gosh, it's probably really embarrassing, but I actually remember it. So I could tell you. (laughs) So imagine that this is an eight year old uh, sharing this. Yeah, so it's not, um, you know, it's not anything that wins a prize, but it could go on the fridge. Uh, Old, old moss covered tree. It stands in the wind so silently. He's watching me. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I felt pretty good about it at the time. Yeah. Um, I, what did you say? It's something that goes in the fridge but won't win any prizes. I I, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> I mean, I it does go on the fridge. I got a bad. Okay, good. See, that's its own prize. It's awesome. Um, are you, Christine, are you still in Alaska? I'm still up here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can drive to my house. <laughs> You can drive to your house. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man, I feel uh, like I could take this conversation with each of you individually into a million different directions, um, and maybe we can do that at a future time. But today, we're going to talk about Traverse. Tell us about Traverse. Uh, I'll, I'll start us off. Um, probably three years ago, T and I first started talking about the idea of a magazine and in my head it was about so many stories and conversations that weren't happening in print and a kind of different hunting ethic than what is reflected in mainstream outdoor publications and so we spent a lot of Sundays I mean I love that both of us were like yes let's do this and then we created what it was over over a long period of time um, lots of Sundays talking about the values and the areas of interest and the title, picking out what to call it. Uh, We knew connection mattered to the land, um, animals, people, food. Um, 
figuring out how to give a voice to those values, uh, conservation, celebration. And I love that it came to life during really difficult times. And I loved having something that I felt was important to work on and share that with Tia. So it's, it's new for us and it's still in the beginning phases, but I've loved every aspect of it. Uh, Tia, did you want to talk about it a little bit too? Yeah. Um, I didn't, Christine said it really well. Uh, and yeah, it was all this time spent. I think it kind of started with Christine and I getting in touch uh, through mutual admiration of one another's writing and saying, I like the way that, you know, your clearly your brain works and the way that you're relating to hunting and that, that connection to wildlife and to the, the sport. And um, I think what really we wanted to see was a, a place where, you know, we started talking about one another's um, our own experiences and each other's experience. And then we're talking about all these other stories that are out there of people that have these incredible experiences and they don't necessarily have a platform to write that on because of a little bit of like what modern hunting literature has become where there's a lot of stuff that's more focused on gear and success and less on um, just like the real experience and maybe kind of like maybe mistakes that we've made and learned from. And so I think, I feel like Traverse was born out of this need that Christine and I both had to share these stories, but also to eke out the stories from other people that we had heard in the past and said, that's an amazing story. And I wish that had been published. And so creating a spot where we can do that um, as well as just, I think in its own way, being a form of art that we we wanted to produce something that really showed our love um, for the wilderness and connection to place. I feel like Traverse is, is kind of uh, a piece of art that Christine and I wanted to create that is a place to, for us to share what's really important to us and a perspective that's that's not necessarily um, the most prevalent one out there in hunting literature. Mm-hmm. You alluded to it a little bit, uh, Tia, but how did you, can you tell us the story of how you and Christine met and got connected and, and how the Seeds of Traverse was born? Um, yeah, hopefully this doesn't embarrass Christine, but it's one of my <laughs> favorite stories, actually. <laughs> I had I had written a story with um Ron Spomer a podcast and and um in it at one point I had said uh I'm a spoon and crock pot hunter not a trophy hunter because I care more about the spoon in the crock pot and what's going in there um and she had had kind of contacted me about that piece and she said hey I'm stalking you but I'm not in a creepy way (laughs) (laughs) and she said I just love your writing and I said well that's really funny because I love everything that you've produced and and I had already she was already on my radar we had um, talked at one point real briefly during an interview where she had done um, an interview on on women hunting and I think I was so nervous I mostly talked about what a badass my mom is being (laughs) raising two little kids in that environment Mm -hmm. Um, so we just like been very loosely acquainted and then I started reading her stuff after that 
and she wrote a book on women hunting in Alaska, which I really enjoyed her writing on. And then, so it was really flattering for me to have her call and say, oh, hey, I'm stalking you, but not in a creepy way because I love your writing. (laughs) And there was some conversation about, hey, let's just, we should make a magazine (laughs) with no business plan, no real like (laughs) thought into how this would look or happen. But like, there's so many incredible stories out there, uh, both within Alaska and without male and female, it doesn't matter. There are these amazing hunting stories that aren't being shared and we need a place to share them. I love it. I once was uh, talking to, it, uh, at that time, she was a business partner of mine and she's like, we just need to go ready, fire, aim because we're getting <laughs> caught up in too many of the details. Um, and I love that you guys kind of took that route. Um, I think sometimes that's that's the way when you're, when you're starting something new. Um, uh, that's just gets it out there quicker, right? Ready, fire, aim. I, I think three years of, three years of, producing this we did not do ready <laughs> aim fire <laughs> we spent a lot of time figuring out the right way to do it until we finally did pull the trigger and and uh I'm just I'm actually really grateful now that it did take us so long because mm-hmm. we were able to get the magazine I think where where we both really wanted it to be mm-hmm. uh, I would just add to that I loved the part I loved that it in that that time that sort of gestation period it's like so many of our conversations were iterative and we just kept going over the same territory. And I think that, you know, our hearts were in the right place of wanting to give permission to writers that might not necessarily find publications that would accept new fresh work that isn't sort of endorsed or sponsored or um, hasn't had a chance yet. And yet those were exactly the kind of stories we wanted. We wanted these new new voices that uh, had this attitude of openness and curiosity with without preconception and um, and it's really tough to to figure out how to do that you we can say we want those those kinds of stories but to actually find those writers and um, put it together and do the work it was a huge learning curve for us and um, I'm I'm really proud that we took a lot of time but we probably could have taken a decade um, Mm-hmm. after a certain amount. Christine, that, that makes me curious about your hunting story. How did you get started hunting? <laughs> so um, my uh, Steve, my partner, was recovering from a surgery uh, and he was very reflective about his life and he wanted to get back to what he loved most, which was duck hunting. And uh, at the time I had a lot of thoughts from Eastern philosophy and yoga about nature and food and my fellow sentient beings. So I kind of invited myself along to learn and I trusted Steve. Otherwise, I'm not sure I would have ever gone hunting on my own. But um, that first trip out on the flats uh, was sort of sensory overload. Uh, Being part of a duck's world and participating at that level, really an awakening for me. And uh, the responsibility of hunting is tremendous and it's sacred. And I just loved every moment I was out there, overwhelmed with gratitude for everything I got to bring back, which didn't include ducks that day. But um, I was i was really, I felt like I'd, I'd had a glimpse at something huge and valuable. And I was 
hungry to learn so much more about it. It was like, what did I just see? It was like smelling salts. I, I came awake to uh, a reality of life that I had just not, I hadn't been at that level before. And it was super cool to me. And I was obsessed and fascinated. And uh, I, I read, read a lot of books and articles and uh, spent a lot of time out on the flats and got dogs and, and on and on and on. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's so amazing because I hear uh, often, and I'd be curious what you think is sort of the, uh, the reason why uh, that when people start hunting, um, they approach the natural world, as you said, as if they're more awake. And can you speak to your experience as to why you feel that hunting in particular um, connected Absolutely. you differently? Yeah. And you just remind something when you asked that question reminded me of a girlfriend's answer, not my own, but it's a good one. And she talked about how you don't get a chance when you're outdoors to decide to turn off the treadmill. Um, you, you go these distances and they're, they're meaningful and you have to, you have to account for the, the trip back and the trip there. And you're, you're so much, it's so much bigger than just your, your, moment in this sort of safe environment uh, where everything's at your control. There's a lot that is not at your control and you have to be ready and resilient and reflexive to it. And for me though, in particular, what got me was um, I was so far out of my comfort zone and it really, I think it just helped move something. It was like a smelling salt. I, I was, my partner was behind me and he tells me there's these ducks 400 yards away and we're going to have to get down on our our knees and creep towards them sneak up on them I've got a shotgun I've just recently learned how to use and I'm like okay well this all area around me is covered in rotting salmon and spider webs and shrews and I'm thinking this is really gross you know (laughs) but I'm gonna do it and so I keep going and he tugs on my waiter and he says we're gonna have to crawl and I was like what? Like crawl? I mean, so I, I tuck in my, my, my sleeves and my shirt and I get all ready to, to crawl. I use the shotgun as a, a, to clear my path. And pretty soon I feel this tug at my foot again. And I'm like, what? And he says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm crawling. Well, he had helped train officers in tactical maneuvers and he'd never seen anybody crawl so fast in his life. Like I had taken <laughs> off, like I was in a diaper derby and I wanted to get it over with. Like I wasn't being stealthy at all. And then there I am, there's the ducks. He says, in, they fly up. He tells me to shoot. I do. I'm, I miss them clean. They're flying away. And I'm just kind of in disbelief at what just happened. And he picks up my spent shell. I only shot one time. And he, holds it up to my nose and he says this is what fall smells like to me and I think I was just enchanted I think I was I'd never touched a world I knew so little about and this is you know my my partner I'm I'm curious I'm this is a place I drive by every day that I never saw and there's this whole world out here and I just felt really humbled by what I didn't know and I was going to get busy and and learn Thank you for sharing that. That was, you are an amazing storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, Tia, I, I, 
want to go back to what you were saying about uh, what Traverse is and some of the hopes that you had for it when you started it, um, particularly about storytelling. And can you talk a little bit more about uh, how storytelling um, as an art, I guess, is important to you and and uh, the impact you hope Traverse will have on storytelling in hunting and fishing communities? Yeah. Um... <laughs> You know, storytelling, I think it's it's one of these things, it's kind of like hunting in a way to me. It's this age-old art that we, we, we've always put a lot of um, value to, uh, particularly in the past. And so kind of I talked about it in my editor's notes, actually in Traverse, of how, you know, our cave paintings... Um, this is part of our culture is to tell stories that help us impart lessons as well as um, entertain and um, to carry on this collective knowledge of our species. And so when that relates to the hunting world, um, I think that storytelling is crucial to maintain our the lessons that we need to remember, but also um, do's and don'ts, uh, things that um, might, you know, for instance, like Christine's telling the story that she is, she was new into the hunting world as a young adult, and without, I think, some stories to help get a person where they need to be, they're kind of lost, and I, I picture this as being something that's always happened, where we need to tell these stories of, hey, this works and this doesn't, or this is how we relate to the animal. Um, this is how we show our respect or any of these things that, that really help us become better hunters, but also better storytellers. And, um, you know, I think that I, I would like to hope that because Traverse is a little bit, it, it's quite a bit different as far as hunting literature goes and there's not a focus on gear there's not a focus on success there's a focus on connection and lessons and I hope that that what that does is give other hunters permission to tell their stories that they're not necessarily reading um, and some of the stuff that they're choosing or they're not reading it because they, or maybe they're, they're sending it in and people are saying well this is not this doesn't really fit our magazine. Mm -hmm. And if suddenly they have permission through observation of saying, well, these folks did it and they say, well, I want to tell this story, then I think we're richer as a hunting culture with those stories. Um, you know, and I, I kind of look at, at Traverse as a document of our lives and our times. It's, it's the cave painting now. If people were to find Traverse a thousand years, if we're so lucky that it could be around <laughs> in a thousand years or, or some of our other hunting literature that's out there, that is the cave paintings of our time. And so um, I just love this idea of how our stories are in some ways, they're the jewels of all of our experiences and, and to keep sharing those is to keep tradition alive and to keep, I think maybe hunting alive and, and why we hunt maybe in better perspective. It's so cool. And I keep thinking, I mean, I, th I think you're right. The stories that we uh, read in, in most uh, national hunting magazines, and even the ones that we see um, on TV or 
on the internet are different than the stories that we tell around the table or around the campfire. Uh, and I'm thinking specifically about an experience I had this spring when I was bear hunting and I missed for the first time, clean miss, thankfully, but missed for the first time. Um, and as any hunter knows, that uh, is a really emotional and um, humbling experience. Uh, and to go back to a cabin full of experienced hunters and then have everybody just go around the table talking about the time I missed was and just sharing those stories and uh, with such vulnerability and honesty and uh, openness um, is important to the hunter's experience. And and those sto aren't stories told um, in the media very often. So I love that you guys are trying to change that narrative. I love that you well, use I'm, the I'm, word vulnerability too. I think that's that's so so important when when we have this narrative of that still there's still a predominant sort of what they call manly sport with a rifle narrative where there's a hero's journey and it, it's not it's not as accessible as just what Zen folks would call beginner's mind that that attitude of openness and curiosity that that is so attractive and it is really vulnerable, but I think that's why you like it because we crave that reality. And Marsha, I, I really enjoy that story. I, I feel like that, um, gosh, that it just fits. It's so fitting. And it's something that in hunting camps, I see a lot of where people do, they sit around and they tell these stories that don't actually make it out there into the rest of the world. They don't, they stop right there after, after the hunt and they explain the story and they say, Oh, and I, you know, and, and I, I messed up and I did this, or this is what happened next. And I should have thought about it this way. And again, these like very vulnerable stories that I think when, when people go back to a society where they're, they're feeling like they need to protect themselves these stories aren't coming out. And so it's really fun that you have that exact experience of people sitting around saying, oh, let's all talk about that. We did a turkey storytelling contest. One of the uh, goals of Artemis, um, which seems to be in line with the goals of Traverse, is to tell um, more the uh, the emotional side of hunting um, and and talk differently about who hunts and why they hunt and what that experience is like. And we, we aim to do that a lot through um, amplifying the stories of our followers and our members. Um, and so we do storytelling contests quite a bit. And the turkey storytelling contest was so much fun because we got a lot of, I didn't harvest a turkey, but uh, kind of stories where they talk about what else they saw in the field um, or what it what they learned um, and what their community meant to them. And it's just so amazing to to see more people, A, have more platforms to do that type of storytelling, but also B, feel like it's a safer environment to do so. No, I think you're right. It's so, um, it's so cool to hear those kinds of stories. I, and sometimes I, I'll find them in, in private groups where you, you know, it is safe to share, but it's really fun because there's something validating about somebody else's struggle. Um, and sometimes that can be, that was the information I wanted most as a new hunter when I thought about going into hunting big game. I wanted, I would read these stories and I would read lots of magazines, like a year's worth of a magazine, try to get what, what should, what's the worst case scenario? What should I expect? What's going to go wrong? And it's like, I kept reading these stories, everything going right. They did everything perfect. They were super fit. They had all the right stuff. And I'm like, I don't want these stories. Like, I want to know what could possibly go wrong. Cause 
I want to plan for it. And, um, and so I love those stories of struggle and it just makes me feel human with everybody. And, and just to kind of, oh, sorry. Nope, go ahead. To kind of tack on to what Christine is saying or, or to, to take this in a slight, slightly different direction. I mean, while Traverse, I feel like as a great platform for talking about um, our stories, whether they're unsuccessful or successful, I think it's really, it's still fine to talk about these great success stories um, ones that, but the, the main focus is more on, um, the success of, of, of like your emotion, what you're feeling and, and not necessarily the success of the kill. Cause that can be, you know, you can certainly have that as well and tell a really good story and that's something to be celebrated. But I think that, you know, just the joy that we get from being outdoors, uh, is really important to kind of talk about and, and then that connection that we get to um the, the successful hunt because without the successful hunt we don't have that um that same connection and reverence for the animal and so uh I'm, I'm not sure how to explain that but uh, I, I guess what I'm just trying to say is that I, I love that we can have these success stories as well and celebrate them equally um so long as it's you know, there, there, there's more to it than just talking about, hey, this the, the pinnacle was mm -hmm. killing something. Mm -hmm. No, that makes so much sense because it's never like that's that's never the whole story. And that's oftentimes not even the, the uh, most impactful part of the story when we look back and remember. Um, right. Mm -hmm. It's 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 like you said it's a it's an important part of the sacredness of the experience and of the relationship um and of our uh survival right i mean most of us feed ourselves that way so so there's that component that's really powerful but it's never um there's always more stories to the hunt right right and those are ones i think we miss out on so often because we get too hyper focused um and, and those are the stories that I love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or, or it's also they, the stories get so polished from retellings that sometimes they, mm -hmm. they lose some of those intimate edges that you get when you're around friends and, and you get to hear all the, the unedited stuff. So it's, it's super free of hype or flaunt or any of the things that um, people can, when they read a story that, that has none of that, it's like, you, it's not as, uh, it doesn't feel as real. And I think part of Traverse was how do we get to, not, not to find the formula, but how do, we, how do we evoke the freshness of experience? How do we get back to those things and, and not, not have it be the hero's journey or marketing tools or anything else, but just have it be this pure love. Um, and, and that's what I, I think that's what we both put our hearts into, Tia. That's yeah, beautiful. I think that's really well said, Christine. Yeah, I like that phrase. I think it, it was the raw edges of a story. Um, I, I really like that. Um, Christine, I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, well, first off, uh, can you t tell us about the first issue, where when it was released, and and where people can find it if it's still available? Yeah. So uh, Tia and I, we. Um, we did put we did make it available through a direct printer. Uh, there is a, a available 
in Alaska, a small amount, and then through through the website, traversejournal.com. But we also wanted it to be available to people to just buy through a direct printer because as a as we're just beginning, we wanted to be able to get it to the most people given given our limited sponsorship. So um, we don't know what the future holds, but um, it's definitely available and will be. Um, it's supported by by readers, so um, we're we're kind of feeling into what's next. And um, I I think that these kinds of conversations get me really excited about what's next. So. I want to delve in a little bit into the editor's notes from your um, writing in the first issue because you talk about telling hunting stories. And I'm going to quote you to you. Sorry. <laughs> I know that can be awkward. Um, uh, quote, free of the limitations of old language, new language, what we do for a living age and gender, except when those things give us a valuable worldview and expand rather than contract us as individuals. I, I love that. First off, um, I think it's beautiful in so many, so many ways. And I'd like to dig into it a little bit. Um, and for starters, can you expand on what you mean by the limitations of old language and new language? Yeah, sure. I, um, I think that, I think I'd mentioned the manly sport with a rifle and that that narrative um, that that I would call old language. But I think that it can old language can feel exclusive, uh, and maybe new language is more more like that beginner's mind that. It's super accessible. It's diverse. It has an attitude of openness. Uh, it doesn't have preconceptions or, or even sort of too much polish. It's not got an agenda. It's just pure sharing. And so I think there's been new, new language always. It's not like new language has to be new. It's just emerging because it's, it's being born again all the time. And when you, when you, talk about feelings or get into the emotional aspects or the individual parts of a hunt that are to me the most interesting. What's, what's your worldview? What does it look like uh, where you are on the hunt? I mean, I want to know that. Are you fearless and available to the, the moment and able to share that, that, that story? Because that's, that's what really matters to me. That's what matters to each of us in our lives. And I read some of the stuff that is what I would call old language, it's, it's been done before. I've heard that story so many times. I know what's happening next because that's what always happens next. Um, I, I don't get a surprise. I, I, I don't feel the tension of struggle. Um, and so I think that new language has the ability to invite people in that, that are curious. And I think that, um, I think that we're just beginning to realize that everybody's constantly changing. I mean, I'm a female hunter and there was a lot, a lot going on about this growing demographic for a long time, but um, we're all, everyone's at different ages, weight, <laughs> bodies, lives, incomes, motivations, abilities. Oh, everything's always changing about us. We're, we're a different person every day. So I love when someone can just share a story that's where they were and, and trust you as the reader or friend uh, to hear that. That's what I hope Traverse does. I hope it's conversations like this that we're having, like what Artemis is doing, and also what Traverse is doing, where we're saying, let's, let's just have a real conversation. 
I'm going to say that's so beautiful so many times in this podcast. Um, but I think, I mean, there are, two, there are a couple of things that were really powerful to me about what you just said. One is that phrase fearless and available to the moment, which I think is is a great way of existing, much less a great way of writing and storytelling. Uh, but also what you talk about is is like the evolution and we're a new person every day. And I think, I know for me personally, sometimes when I, I'm writing and I'm publishing, and I imagine this is something that writers deal with, and artists in particular, in general, deal with, uh, but allowing yourself to exist as you were in that moment and trusting that you're not to keep you there. Yes. Oh, gosh. Tia, will you tell her? There, just, mm-hmm. I love one of the stories in Traverse. I, this was like an editing moment with Tia and I. Um, we we met up at a, a cabin and kind of went through all the whole first issue together. And I loved doing that because you saw things I didn't see and we talked about them. And do you remember when we were talking about Noah's story, uh, The Unexpected Grizzly? Mm-hmm. And she, do you know what I'm talking about, Tia, where she is, um, it appears she's made a mistake as a reader. Oh, right. And it, yeah, do you, could you kind of, I don't, I don't have a great memory. I just remember I loved that conversation we had about it. Yeah. I'm, hitting you on a, um, I'm sorry. No, that's great. She, I, I, so one of the, one of the stories is by this gal, Noah. She was, I think, 14 at the time that she wrote for us and, or the time that the story took place. And she's, um, I was even a little bit younger, but she's telling the story of her grizzly hunt with her dad and um she's carrying her 243 and her mom has a 270 and or I guess they're, they're hunting caribou but they see a grizzly so her and her dad decide to go after it and her mom's going to stay there and so she trades rifles with her mom and takes the 270 and then she's talking a little bit longer in the story and and she just casually mentions that she can hear or she's playing with in her pocket she can hear the 243 ammo in her pocket jingling around and when I first read it I thought oh okay she just made a mistake you know she said that she said she's turning the 270 well she put that in there for a good reason as like adding that hey this is this is just I I love that part because she gets down there Mm -hmm. she winds up having only the three shots that she has in the magazine of the 270 and then she reaches in her pocket for more ammo and that's there's her 243 ammo mm-hmm. and so she she brings this the story in that you know that's where she's at in her mind she's not thinking about it at the time she makes a mistake um having been a writer <laughs> and I think unfortunately being a female hunter writer you can get um criticized a bit more and so when I first saw mm-hmm. this I Oh, we, we got it. We got to change this because I don't want to be criticized. And then I see later that this is just a mistake, you know, that she makes at the time. And then she brings us full circle in the story. And it's like, you know, this is just something that happens. And I, I got a real, um, yeah, I got a real kick out of it. But also just, it was, it was great. It was definitely her being there in the moment and, and helping you as the reader to be there as well. Yeah. And I love the fact that we talked about it too. It was like, yeah, this yeah. is, we're we're seeing this through the lens of who what we've been through as as writers and and hunters and I just it was a really great thing one of the reasons I it's such an organic experience to work on this first issue together it was uh, really fun yeah were you able to do this in person because it was pulled together in 2020 is that right 
Um, we, 2021 is when it came out. Um, it came out this spring, but we, um, we met. Tia, when did we meet to go over it? It was this winter sometime. I don't really know, but yeah, we, it's mostly been over the phone. It's mostly been those Sunday mm-hmm. calls that Christine was talking about and a lot of emails. I want to bring in sort of a, a, another, uh, I'm going to quote you to you now, Tia. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so you did a podcast with Aaron Kindle, who, um, is with the NWF Outdoors Vanishing Seasons podcast. And this is a podcast that talks about how climate change is impacting our hunting and fishing seasons. And you talked beautifully um, about the changes you've seen uh, in your lifetime in Alaska. And I encourage everybody who's listening to head over to that podcast and we'll link to it in our show notes. Um, But in that podcast, you said something that really stuck with me. Um, You said wealth isn't about how much we have. It's about how much we enjoy it. and I couldn't agree more. And I would love to hear you talk about that sentiment and how it relates to your hunting and fishing lifestyle in particular. Sure. Um, so I, I guess I, I'll start off with saying just a little bit more about that, that, um, you know, we could, we could of course have all the, the gold material wealth in the world. And if we have no ability to breathe or no way to feed ourselves or have clean water, we're not going to enjoy that wealth. Right. So I think that that, that kind of just opens up this big door to a world of where would we be without clean water, without clean air, without being able to harvest our own food. Um, you know, it sounds cliched, but, but the ability to get uh, free range organic meat you know, for us hunters, it's, it's far exceeds in my opinion, um, you know, that, that, just eating meat that's, that's been raised, um, by someone else and you've never had any part of it. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that if we can recognize what really is important, it's really easy for all of us. And, and we're all part of it. We all get caught up in material things and what we think is wealth. But I think a, a great way for me to think about it is, um, you know, I was, I was raised, like I said, in really remote parts of Alaska, the last human inholding in a wildlife refuge bordered by um, a 4 million acre national park, bordered by a million acre refuge to the south. So complete wilderness um, and the very controversial proposed pebble mine that is, you know, it, it's a big corporation, Canadian corporation that's looking to um, do an open pit mine in Bristol Bay at the head of headwaters of Bristol Bay. Um, and it, this has been an ongoing thing for 20 years. It's been something that I've been fighting for, um, quite a few years at this point, because so at the, at the heart of Bristol Bay is of course our, our salmon, but at the headwaters is the, I think, I believe it's the largest deposit of gold in the world and second largest of copper. So there's you know, there's understandably a reason to, that, that people want to mine there. Um, and I'm not saying I'm anti-mining. I love flying my airplane. <laughs> I use resources like every other person, but there are some places that need to be protected. And, and so what we would get at the cost of this gold is um, a depletion of our resources to the point of 
potentially destroying the largest, uh, the world's largest salmon run. And so there you have a perfect example of our real well is, is our salmon. And um, what looks like wealth is really not because if we don't have an ability to eat, then suddenly that gold that's in your pocket is not really worth anything, right? Thank you for for expanding on that. And I think if you got like um, I, another podcast conversation that we can have is like how uh, how do we remind ourselves of that on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. How do we keep it at the forefront of our mind? How do we allow that to become our primary perspective? Right, which is so hard to do because, like I said, we're all hypocrites in a sense. And I, I feel like the time that I am most um, connected to that thought of where our real wealth lies is when I'm outdoors and hunting and fishing and, and doing these things where I can appreciate it. But, right, how do we remind ourselves of that on a daily basis? And how do we how do we help others who haven't had that experience and don't have that connection? How do we help them to see where their real wealth is also? Mm -hmm. I'm going to transition us a little bit, but before I do, is there anything else uh, either of you would like to mention about uh, Traverse or any of our conversations so far? Gosh, I, I want to just keep talking on this line. I love listening to Tia talk about about pebble and um i think i think you you have done so much there that it is it's a whole other conversation to have but it it's part of why connection matters it's it's part of it's it's conservation and and love of all this stuff and a feeling that that atavistic i might be saying that wrong feeling of wanting to protect what you love and um you have to love it first And you can't love something you've never experienced, right? That's in, that's difficult. Right, right. Um, and then, and just on a, a slightly different note, I just wanted to add on, on Traverse how, um, you know, this has been, Christy and I have, have, you know, we talked about how um, kind of in the sense of like yoga where, you know, you, you put a lot into a pose and you're holding it and maybe you're getting a lot out of it, but you're, you're putting so much into it. And then, and then there's that, the exhale, um, and, or, or maybe Shavasana or, and again, I might be saying that wrong, but, um, that there's the inhale and there's the exhale. And I feel like with Traverse right now, we're on the exhale where, you know, we've been telling people that what we've just published is a pilot. It's kind of, it's kind of a, a, a gauge to feel where people are at and what they want to see with Traverse, if they want to continue seeing it or not. Um, we, I think Christine and I, like I said, I, we didn't have a business plan going into this. This was not about, we didn't sit down and say, who's our audience? And even if we did sit down and say that, we never came up with anything. It was, we did this because I think like any pieces of art or writing that people do that you have to do it for yourself first. And we both felt like we needed to do it for ourselves. And so this is just kind of the, um, yeah, this is the pilot issue and we're really hoping to see it go great places, but, um, we're on the exhale. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that may answer my next question, my next question, which was wondering if you have a place where people can submit stories. Yes. 
So on the website, um, you can email the editors. The, the email address to the editors is there. And even though it's not a, a page that you can go to because we're not web experts and it's not a super high tech page, you can search submission guidelines for Traverse. Uh, we, we did put those together for the first group of writers that submitted. But we, we might tell you, hey, not, not quite yet. <laughs> like, like Tia said, we, we did this as a, a proof of the idea to, to ourselves and, and to readers with the hope that people would come back and tell us, yes, we want more of this or, you know, nothing. <laughs> and I, I'm very optimistic in what we're hearing. It, it's very um, affirming and feels good to hear this good stuff right now. Um, we, we've yet to commit to something where we could say, sure, subscribe. Like we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, we'll, we'll tell everybody about Traverse and then, uh, keep us posted. <laughs> Let yes. us know yes. when you're ready to inhale again. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to ask you both a question that I haven't um, warned you about yet. So, and I'll prompt it or uh, preface it because uh, Artemis is doing a book club this year where we're reading three books over the course of the year and then hosting virtual conversations so we can get mm -hmm. together and discuss them. Uh, and our first book is Braided Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Yeah, and I love that book. It's such a beautiful book. Um, mm -hmm. It's, 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 I've taken a lot away from it and it has changed the way that I think of my relationship to the natural world and the way I approach hunting and fishing. So I hope people can read it and join us. We're hosting three virtual meetings, um, one on July 6th, July 8th, and July 11th. Uh, and if people are interested in joining us for that, they should have a, head over to the blog section of our website um, or the show notes or the links in our Insta profile. There's a, there's a million ways you can access that information um, and, and you can register for a meeting. Uh, registration is free. Um, you just have to buy the book. Uh, but that segues into my question for each of you. Is there a book that you can recommend to our list listeners um, that had a big impact on how you feel and think about the natural world? It can be nonfiction. It can be fiction, autobiography, poetry, you name it. You want to go first, Tia? I, I want to just rattle off books for like the next 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, boy. Um Hmm. I'm gonna have to End of the Game by Peter oh. Beard. What is it? End of the Game by Peter Beard. Okay. I'm making notes. Nan Shepherd's The Living Mountain. Robert McFarland's The Old Ways. Mm. Then I'll take a break. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would say probably the most recent one that I read that just has a had a big impact on me, um, and I was the whole through time going yes, 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 more of this is um, mm. it was uh, David Peterson's Heart's Blood, mm. Hunting Spirituality mm. and Wilderness in America. I think that was that was one that really resonated with me um, in my most recent reading. Beautiful. Thank you. I've not read any of those. Uh, and so I'm excited that my reading list just grew by four. 
Uh, okay, then we'll head to hits and misses, which is our weekly closer. The question is, what have you been aiming for recently and how did it go? Um, Tia, do you want to start? Or whoever? Uh, we've, been aiming, we've been aiming to publish Traverse. Yay! <laughs> That's, I, I feel like, like I say, I'm, I'm being actually, it sounds a little bit corny, I feel like, when I say it, but when I'm thinking it, it is truly the exhale right now still for us, even though you know, we, we published Traverse a few months ago, but now it, it's still so fresh in my, for me that it's like, um, I'm still feel, I'm still kind of reeling from the amount of effort that we put into it. And the, I think the fear of putting something kind of that big, that big of a part of you, when you create something out of nothing, uh, you're really kind of bearing your soul a little bit to the world when you put it out there. And so for me, I'm still, I'm still on this, like, we just put this out there <laughs> and it's been three years in the making. And this is like, this is everything. This is so much of who we are and, and a compilation of those three years of conversations between Christine and I, and, and then also like our, our collective experiences. Um, and I feel like it's gone pretty well. It's a little, again, it's still a, a bit daunting and a lot of the world hasn't, um, hasn't seen it. We haven't done a lot to push it. We're neither of us seem to have the um the shameless uh <laughs> salesperson inside. And right. so we're all just we're kind of like, hey, you wanna you wanna love this as much as we do? <laughs> and and so it's it's we're kind of letting we're basically barely putting it out there. Um and so we'll see. We're 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 kind of still in the exploratory stages of seeing where it's going. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. Uh, yeah. The, hey, do you want to love this as much as we do? <laughs> Followed by I cannot a, please. say anything better. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, did you guys celebrate? How did you celebrate the publication, both either together or separately? Gosh, I feel like Christine, we celebrated it. <laughs> but Christine, can you say what I'm not, maybe I'm putting you on the spot too much here, but there was something you said about indifference being true love oh <laughs> yeah we um I was talking about a uh, uh Zen saying that true love resembles indifference and I think it just means that we don't act out our feelings as much as we feel them and um I did I did go and uh celebrate Tia's one year wedding anniversary and that to me felt like a celebration of Traverse even though I know that's not right um, it did just because I got to see her in person which is rare and also just because I know without talking it to death that her and I went through so much um, and we finally got to hold it and see it and um, that's just so big you don't want to talk it to death you just want to feel it hmm. I'm going to chew on that one for a while. <laughs> I like it. That's so interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you got my gears turning, Christine. <laughs> uh, it's a new concept to me. I hadn't considered that before. And that phrasing in particular is really unique um, and thought provoking. Um, well, and I think the way I, my mind kind of went with it when Christine told me that, because I was, I was going gosh, I feel like we haven't celebrated this enough. This is huge. Mm -hmm. But when I think about the things that we have usually a really big reaction to, 
sometimes we're overcompensating for maybe not feeling enough and we're going, mm-hmm. oh, you know, like everybody get excited because we're so excited. And instead, Christine and I, I think we're both just, I think we're, we're both just going, wow, this came about. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes we feel like it traverse really took on a life of its own and came about in some ways, regardless of us. Yeah, we yes. were like mm-hmm. the catalyst for it, but it, it formed, it's its own being now. Like it only, it's, and so while I'm excited that it's out there, um, I'm not, yeah, I'm not trying to tell anyone including myself like get excited this is this is it we're mm-hmm. we're just kind of like reveling in it a little bit I feel like but yeah I would love to have a sh- I would love to have a glass of champagne with with Chris Christine and yes. have a cheers and say we did it yes <laughs> yes still to come <laughs> uh wonderful um Christine what have you been aiming for lately and how did it go Oh gosh, can I just me too on what she said? I, <laughs> yeah. I really think that was big. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yeah, that was that was perfect. Nice. Uh, and I'm gonna um, brag a little bit, I guess, about some of the awesome events that I've been a part of this week. One was we have a annual or sorry a monthly meeting with our ambassador cohort um, and this week we met with our 2021 ambassador cohort and I just continue to be really excited for uh, who these people are um, and what they hope to accomplish and the energy that they're approaching um, their work and it's just a delight to get to know every single one of them and we're going to start with uh, ambassador profiles uh, and telling their stories so you can get to know them as well mm-hmm. and I'm just really excited for that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Can you send us a link? I'd be happy to. It'll be starting in uh, early July is when we'll we'll okay. start those rolling. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I I have yeah. I would love to read it. I would love to see it. I am a big fan of Artemis. I as soon as I started talking to Aaron Kindle and he mentioned it and I looked into it, I was just ecstatic to see that there's another. Um, I don't know, just to see that those similar souls out there and, uh, uh, you know, a a perspective that is not necessarily the most prominent right now, but one that I definitely resonates most with me. Mm -hmm. I feel like Artemis has been able to act a little bit like a rallying flag uh, for women hunters and anglers, and even just more broadly for hunters and anglers who um, are approaching it with the same conservation ethic and reciprocity ethic that we are and it's been a delight to be a part of this community and to help build it um and i'm grateful to you both for this wonderful conversation me too thank you yeah thanks everybody so much yeah thanks everyone for joining us this week on the artemis podcast we hope you're having a great week until next time be bold stay curious and get outside
Thank you.